The Bible tells us we can clap, you know. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with clapping. Yes, we believe. That song is uh, from a creed, kind of taken from a creed from long ago that the church forefathers wrote to declare what we believe about Jesus Christ and God the Father. And we now get a lot of our belief from Scripture. So turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at two very familiar stories to us. And we're going to see that hope is realized by faith in Christ in these two stories. And uh, they're going to be very, I think, very personal to us because I think we've all, had, we've all been in dilemmas like this at some point. But just remember that Mark is a testimony. Mark wrote this from the, the eyewitness accounts of himself as well as Peter, but always governed by the Holy Spirit as he wrote these down. And Mark continually shows throughout his book the divinity of Jesus. He just never lets up. It's always there. That Jesus Christ, although fully man, human, bleeds, goes to sleep, eats food, is also fully God. But he also shows how faith fails human beings so many times. They, they just fail to see it. And this morning we're going to see hopelessness turn to hope. And we're going to see what we've seen throughout chapters 4 and 5 one more time. Hope turns from a temporal look to an eternal look in these events. See, because going to Jesus for help in this time frame is a new thing. It's not something they, they would do regularly. They weren't looking for a guy to go give them help like this. So it's kind of a new thing. And so as they wrestle with their problems, you can understand that this is kind of a, an unusual place to be. So let's look at these verses. Let's read these together. Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I t just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to them, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him, the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother, and came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for doing this and also thank you for giving it to us in Scripture. Inspired by your spirit, penned by man but governed by the hand of God, it is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is truth that we must look at, meditate, and reflect on because it speaks to our very soul and our very existence. So show us this morning. Give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you can see in the story, when two people reach the point of, of complete hopelessness, they begin to seek the one person that can give them hope. I don't think they really realized that when they started looking for him. But hope comes when faith, faith in, in the words and the love of Jesus Christ is expressed in some form or fashion and is acted on. How does Christ's love create hope in a hopeless situation? Well, that's, that's kind of the question for these two stories. Faith, hope, and love show up in these two stories, in these very, these very tense episodes in, in the ministry of Christ. And I want you to first to look at the, the fledgling faith of this synagogue ruler, the synagogue leader. Point number one, he had last resort faith. But last resort faith finds hope. Look at tw- verses 21 through 24 again. I want to read those again for us. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd crowd gathered around him by the sea. This is the Sea of the Galilee. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. So this is after the return from Gerasenes where he had cast out the legion of demons from the guy last week and, uh, and uh, he had he'd gone back across the sea. They had basically asked him to leave their region, so he did. So now he gets to shore and a crowd immediately forms. I mean, Jesus' popularity right now in the area of Galilee, northern Palestine, is through the roof. I mean, he's off the charts in terms of popularity. So people, the minute they see him, the minute they know him, word spreads fast, people gather quickly, But guess what? The the popularity does not equal faith. Just because they're following him doesn't mean they believe in him. And we're going to see that many times over. But they're, they're gathered there. And then all of a sudden, through this mass of people, this synagogue leader fights his way to Jesus. Understand, Jesus is probably surrounded 
But this synagogue leader is, is pushing through the crowd. Now, this guy was probably a local celebrity of some fame of some sort. Most of the synagogue leaders, they weren't Pharisees, they weren't necessarily scribes, but they were the keeper of the building and the synagogue, keeping the materials there, the copy of God's Word, and all those kind of things. And sometimes it was an honorary position given to someone of prestige, someone prominent in the community. So he fights through this crowd. The crowd kind of parts for him. Oh, he's coming through. Let's get out of his way kind of thing. And he comes through, and they're expecting him to confront Jesus like the Pharisees have done. They're probably expecting him to have an argument with Jesus about what Jesus is doing and teaching. Instead, this man kneels. This man begs, and this man pleads his case of hopelessness to Jesus. My daughter is ill to the point of death. Now, this is a lot for a man to do, this man to do, because he's already probably seen in his synagogue there at Capernaum, Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes having their little arguments that they've had back in the first uh, four chapters, three chapters of Mark. He's seen them reject Jesus. He's seen them turn away from Jesus' teaching. So he's risking a lot by seeking Jesus' help. But it's his last resort. It's his last resort resort for his daughter she is dying by all accounts everybody that's looking at that young little girl says she is going to die he's already got the mourners in place they used to hire the jewish were required to hire professional mourners believe it or not people who would come and weep and wail and play, play flutes in an act in a time of mourning so they were already in place at this guy's house and it's like he could he couldn't just sit there and wait for her to die he had to do something had to do something. I know many of you have probably been in that position where you've just like, I can't just sit here and watch this happen. I can't just sit here and wait for this happen. So he had to go do something. And he remembered, you know, Jesus healed a guy with leprosy. Jesus cast out a demon. Jesus did some other things in my synagogue. Hmm. Maybe, he says to himself, maybe, just maybe, Jesus can heal her. What's to lose, he thinks. And if I don't, I may regret it. I mean, I'm sure he's thinking all these things just like we would, turning them over in our head. So from his previous knowledge, he had enough faith to dive into the midst of a crowd, a crowd that all knew him, all knew who he was. He dove into the middle of that crowd and begged Jesus Christ to help his hopeless situation. He humbled himself to Jesus for the sake of his daughter's life. It was his last-ditch effort, in a sense. But Jesus loved him. Notice Jesus didn't say a word to him. He just nodded, and they started off toward his house. But Jesus was loving him all along. And he granted him access to come and beg. And then he, said, and then he just nodded and said, Yeah, I'll follow you. And out of love, Jesus agrees to follow him to his house. So for Jairus, for this moment in time, he has a little bit of hope. Jesus, you're going to come to my... Oh, cool. You know, let's go. All right. In a hurry. we got to get there. She's almost dead. His last resort faith finds some hope. At least for now. See, Jairus is a Jew. And by Jewish religion, the only way their sins are atoned for is by shedding of blood of a lamb or a goat. And if they do that ritual, they believe, although it's more of a, of a head knowledge than it is a heart knowledge, that God has forgiven their sins. 
So even their atonement for sin is just kind of a wishful desire based on some act they do. Now, some of them had faith. Some have faith in, in the act. But he, in figurative terms, lived outside the veil that covered around the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. He lived outside the veil until he met Jesus. The writer of Hebrews kind of captures this very thing that happened to Jairus. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. See, Jesus has, has torn the veil in two as we just sang about. And now we could enter the Holy of Holies, which is before God Almighty, because our sins have been wiped out. Jairus is meeting Jesus and meeting Jesus for the first time in a way that he's probably never met him. Now, some questions I kind of asked when I was reading it. This is why did Jairus just wait just till now to seek him out? Why did he wait till now? I mean, his daughter's probably been sick for a while. It's probably not something instantaneous. He knew of Jesus' previous miracles. Why didn't he seek him earlier? What delayed him? And it was false faith and false hope. Hoping doctors, maybe hoping something happening, maybe hoping sacrifices. I don't know. But now his daughter's life hung in the balance. And what if he had delayed even longer? What if he delayed due to the fear and embarrassment of going to Jesus even a little bit longer? And what if he'd have never gone? Did he wait too long would be questions he would ask himself. Would her death be his fault? I'm sure those questions were running around in his head. He went to Jesus on a last-ditch mission. His heart finally had had enough, got enough faith in what he knew about Jesus to push aside the shame and the ridicule and take the risk to go to Jesus to take the risk and step out in faith and say, I'm going to wade into this crowd. I don't care how thick it is. I don't care how many people push me back. I'm going to get to Jesus. And he finally believed enough to risk his position, his prestige, and his pride. <laughs> his pride. You know what? Humility paves the way for faith. But pride is a roadblock. Many people have turned from Christ's offer of salvation because of pride. Humility, And this man finally had it through the sickness and the illness of his daughter. So the question for us this morning is, what are we waiting for? If we haven't put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we haven't humbled ourselves before him and pled for the salvation of our soul, why not? Is it a fear of what people might say? Is that what's keeping you from trusting Jesus? Is it pride? Too much risk? I would say this morning, please put all the way and believe Jesus loves you, and, and, and he will cry and hear you cry. He will cry. No, my tongue this morning. Jesus loves you, and he will hear you cry out in faith. He will, just like he heard Jairus do that. So throw caution and logic to the wind, okay? There is no caution and logic when it comes to the, the matter of the soul and faith. Fall at the feet of Jesus. Humbly submit yourself to him and ask him to forgive you and save you. I mean, Jairus finally did this. So his last resort faith motivated him to fight through the crowd to Jesus. And then while they're on their way, a woman interrupts. 
And she tries a little experiment. So the next point is an experimental faith grows to saving faith. Look at verses 25 through 34. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, instantly her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples, those poor disciples, his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? They don't get it. We wouldn't either. But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Mm, Good story. Good story. So she had this condition of bleeding, probably a menstrual thing of some sort. Twelve years she had tried to find a cure for it. Twelve years. There are some very, there's like 39 different bizarre trainings in the Jewish Talmud for healing something like this. Not in, not in our Bible, but in, I mean, it's some really crazy things like got something, one of them's got something to do with bird feathers. But anyway, she's endured all of that. The, Jew, the Jewish religion's idea of how to cure her, and then some doctors now, don't think about the doctors we have today. These, these guys were probably not very well trained. Some of them were probably speculating. Some of them were probably quacks just to take your money. I know some of you feel that way about doctors today, but that's another whole story. She had subjected herself to all of that, and they had done nothing for her except take her time, her money, and her hope. She was bankrupt in all three of those. And her condition worsened, probably depression and desperation were setting in. Um, I wouldn't put it past her to have thought about suicide because of this. Because see, when she was having this illness, she's unclean. She can't worship in the temple. She can't enter the synagogues a lot of times because people just don't want that, even though the synagogue is not technically a temple. So she's an outcast, like a leper almost. And so those who know, don't let her come around. She was probably angry with God, too, probably frustrated with him a little bit. But (laughs) she had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. She heard people telling about what Jesus had done and what he was teaching. She knew he had helped others. He had a message of hope. So she came up with a plan. Okay, so I've heard what Jesus can do, but I'm not sure I'm convinced yet. So let me come up with this plan. I'm going to sneak up on Jesus. (laughs) I love that. So she came up with this plan to touch his clothes. Now, this is a popular belief back then that if someone had special power, it it would emanate from anything of their possession. So even their shadows. And there's going to be a passage later in Mark where these people put sick people out by the road so Jesus' shadow falls across them or they can touch his hem. The same thing happened to Paul and Barnabas on a mission trip. I mean, it's crazy, but that's what she thought. So she's going to stay incognito. She's going to sneak up behind Jesus in this really dense, packed crowd. 
She's being very stealthy. And she's going to touch his robe. Because her inner voice was telling her, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If I can just get a, a pinch of his hem, not pull on it, just touch it. So she did. She touched him. Instantly. Healed. Not a, a, not a long process. Instantly. She knew right then, I am healed. I am healed. I am better. There's no doubt. There's no lingering question. Her body was well, and she had pulled off her sneak attack, she thought. I got it. Without having to interrupt Jesus, without having to highlight myself in front of everybody. But Jesus stopped. <laughs> now, I'm sure Jairus is panicking. Come on, Jesus. we got to go save my daughter. Jesus stops, and he says, who touched me? Well, he's not asking who touched my clothes, who's pressing against me like the disciples thought. There's a mob pressing around him. He's asking a different question because he knew power had been dispensed from his body. The power of God Almighty had flowed through him to this woman and healed her. He was not unaware of his power. It's not like this force that's filled that surrounds him or whatever. He knew power had been given. And like I said, the disciples are clueless. They're wondering what Jesus is talking about. But you know what? Jesus knew by asking the question the way he did, who touched me, she would respond. She fell at his feet in fear. Not fear as in I'm scared of you, Jesus, but as in I'm worshiping you because obviously God is right here because I just got healed of something that I've carried around for 12 years. She was trembling at the emotional relief of being healed. I mean, she had, she had a lot of emotions and thoughts and everything probably going through her head, but she knew God had healed her. She didn't know how. She didn't know really who Jesus was yet, completely, I don't think, but she was motivated by that healing and his question to come out and confess. Yes, Jesus, it was me. I touched you. And then profess what had happened. Oh, yes. It was a miracle. She held nothing back. She told the whole thing. That's why we have the details written right here. She told everything about what had happened. And Jesus saw her faith as not necessarily a test. He saw it as real faith. And he affirmed her faith as saving faith. Daughter, your faith has saved you, not healed you. And then he says, go and be healed. He affirmed her faith. She believed in Jesus as the Messiah who takes away sin. That's what she was coming to grips with right there after she confessed and professed her miracle. His love gave her faith and hope right there. Bang. Jesus called her daughter as a sign that the father has accepted her. He saved her and he healed her by one touch of faith. Her sins were immediately washed away. Her, her night of affliction was gone and it was turned into a day of health. All by one touch from the master. He loved her to physical health as well as spiritual health. You know, she was experimenting with this Jesus thing. I had heard about Jesus. She was experimenting with what she knew about Jesus, and her soul was regenerated by Christ in that one moment of faith. She tested her faith for healing. At least that's what she thought she was doing. But really, she found eternal life. And Paul testifies about this as well in Romans 5, 2. He says, through him we have also 
obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we are forgiven. We are forgiven. We can access this by faith and, and the grace that we have and rejoice in the hope of God's glory. So do you want some proof of faith before you have faith? I mean, that's what this, I think that's what this lady initially started out with. She wanted some kind of guarantee. And I tell you what, some of us may be looking for a guarantee that I'm going to be forgiven, that this is going to work. Well, look around you. There's a room full of people here that believe, like we just sang about, that Jesus is the Christ and he can save your soul. It's a room people, uh, full of people with unwavering faith, no matter what's come at them. That's your proof. You don't really need any more, but I'll give you a little bit more. First of all, the Bible, God's Word. It testifies to us that Jesus loves us. And that if we have faith, if we have faith in Jesus, our sins can be forgiven and He will save us. That's proof. And Jesus really is all the proof we ever really need. He lived, He died, He was buried, He rose. Over 500 people saw him. See, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is not make-believe, fairy tales, or suspect. It is a fact of history. People just choose not to believe it because they don't want to surrender to the Lord. Eyewitnesses saw it. And people even have died because of this belief. And today, in Afghanistan and other places around the world, people are dying because they won't denounce their faith in Jesus Christ. They won't say, I don't believe in Jesus. And they pay with their lives. It's a, it's a rampant thing. It's not, it's not isolated. But for by grace through faith is the only way to find the hope that we're talking about this morning. The hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And he loves us and he'll love you with a saving hope and a saving love. So we need to stop experimenting. Stop trying to keep testing this and testing that. Stop trying to find more facts that maybe someone dug something up in Israel that proves it. As, as Abraham told the rich man in the story of rich man and Lazarus, even if a dead person comes back to life for your brothers, they will not believe because they won't believe the words of God. So stop looking for anything else and believe. So, Jesus was interrupted on his way to Jairus' house, so let's go back to that. Now, back to that miracle. Faith at death brings eternal hope. Let's read the rest of this story, starting with verse 35. While he was speaking, still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, which is Jairus, Don't be afraid. Only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them on outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum which is Aramaic, and is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. 
Then he gave them strict orders and no one, that no one should know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Worst news ever, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. People had come to tell him, stop wasting your time with Jesus. What's the point of bothering Jesus? He's just a teacher. Teacher? <laughs> they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what just happened in the crowd right there. They don't understand what, what Jesus' mission is. So, but Jairus knew who he was talking to. He'd just seen that whole miracle with the, the woman. He's like, okay, there's something to this. His last resort faith had turned into probably a little bit stronger. So Jesus loves him and encourages him right there. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Fear not the coils of death, the curse of sin, but believe, trust, rest in me. Now that's the point. That's the point. His friends didn't get it. So, so Jesus could have turned, I mean, Jairus could have turned Jesus down. He could have just, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done, and walked away. But he didn't. He said, okay, let's go. So off they went. He went and continued his march toward his house, even though his daughter was dead. Jesus encouraged him. And then Jesus kind of took charge of the situation. You know, he didn't say anything when Jairus first approached him, but now he's like, okay, everybody... Y'all stay back. Okay, Peter, James, and John, y'all coming with me. The other uh, nine can stay behind. And we're going to Jairus' house. So the crowd did not follow Jesus. Neither did the other nine disciples. And it was just those four and Jairus headed to his house. So Jesus kind of took some char charge of the situation. And he's kind of taking control of it because it's, it could get out of hand real fast. And he comes to the house and he confronts these professional mourners. And with a guy of Jairus' uh, status, he probably had quite a few that were paid for. And they're wailing and weeping and, and blowing flutes and clapping and yelling. There's all kinds of things that they're supposed to do in the Jewish culture to mourn the death. And Jesus is confronting them. Stop this lamenting and caterwauling, okay? For those of you who don't know that, you can ask me what that means afterwards. She's not dead but sleeping. No, she's not comatose, so don't think that, well, she wasn't really dead. Jesus just woke her up from a nap. No, she was dead. They knew death. They just didn't know life. They didn't know resurrection. They knew healing. So he, she was dead, but she was soon to be raised. Sleeping is just a euphemism that they used back then to talk about death. Like we use the word, they passed. So it's kind of the same thing. But they laughed at Jesus. And they went from wailing and weeping and carrying on to laughing that tells me they weren't really sincere about their grief anyway. But they scoffed at Jesus, which was a big mistake, big, big mistake. So now Jesus kicks them out, everybody out, puts everybody outside except for her parents and the three disciples. So there's only six of them in the house. Now, why did he do this? I mean, why wouldn't Jesus want the crowd to know and people to know and see? There's a couple of reasons. First of all, Jesus didn't need the publicity. <laughs> Right now, he did not need that much more attention, especially if he raises someone from the dead. It's going to get crazy. It's going to get chaotic. And the family doesn't need that attention right now either. The second reason is because they did not believe Jesus' words, which is probably the most important reason why he put them out. You're not believing my words. Why would I let you see the miracle? They lost the privilege because they didn't believe the words of Jesus. Faith comes from hearing not seeing. 
And that's what we got to realize. The point of all the gospel accounts of Jesus' miracles and signs is not to give us faith, but to validate the faith we already have. The deeds of Jesus only aid the soul when the words of Jesus are believed. The deeds of Jesus only help our souls when the words of Jesus are believed. I mean, that's, that's the fact of, of Scripture. Faith starts with knowledge of Jesus' message. So, he puts everybody out, takes the girl by the hand. No, it's not a magical touch, it's just Jesus, which I would love to be touched by Jesus, and I have been, but, you know, not physically like this, but just like the lady getting healed. But he grabs her hand, and he helps her up and says a very simple phrase. This is a very ordinary phrase. Get up, little girl. It's the kind of phrase that the mom would say before school that morning. Get up, it's time to go to school. Get up and eat your breakfast. It's not something extraordinary. It's actually extraordinarily ordinary. It's not something grandiose. It's not an incantation. But why did Mark record it in Aramaic and then have it literally translated in Greek and then into, we, got, we have it in English now, Talitha kum. Why did he record this? Well, we don't have a lot of artifacts of Jesus, physical, tangible artifacts. Yes, there's a church built over the tomb of Jesus, we think. We don't know this for sure. There's a, there's a, 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 a church, I've been there, a church built over the site of Calvary where the cross was. We don't really know that. Uh, there's sites about where the Sermon on the Mount happened and where Jesus did this. Matter of fact, I was expecting over there in Israel for them to say, right here you can see the footprints of Jesus walking on the water. But I didn't. They didn't go that far. There's no artifacts of Jesus' existence, physical, tangible artifacts, except his words. Except his words. He says, Talitha kum. When you say that, that's Aramaic. When you say it, you're quoting, literally quoting Jesus Christ. Obviously, the whole word of God is his, but that's the words he said. Mark recorded it because he knew, more than likely, this is all that's left of Jesus. The Jews hated Jesus. They abolished everything. They probably took everything apart, tore everything down. There's no manger. There's no, you know, nothing. We have a lot of speculation of where places are, and maybe they're right. But at this point in time, Mark knows the only thing that's going to last forever is the word of God and the souls of men. So let's record what Jesus actually said. Talitha kum. And she rose immediately. She didn't crawl out of bed. She didn't kind of lean on anybody. She rose, got up, and walked instantly. Walked and ate. So she wasn't a swooning story, and she's not a ghost because she ate something, which is the same reason Jesus ate something when he rose and appeared to the disciples to prove to them that he was risen in bodily form. But Jesus then orders the family to Keep it quiet. He kind of muzzled them. And, and, and we probably don't understand why. Why wouldn't we want to broadcast this? Well, we live in a different world than they live in. And the same reasons are there. Too much popularity too quick. The mobbing of the family from the crowd would be just too crazy for them to handle at this point in time. And it's not Jesus' hour to be completely revealed. Because here's what would happen. If they saw Jesus raised, they would try to make him king. They saw that Jesus had raised someone from the dead right then. They would try to make him king, and that's not the, the thing Jesus came for. They're going to find out eventually. People are going to find out. They'll see the little girl riding her bicycle, haha, she's playing outside, and people will find out soon enough. But the mob would have tried to make Jesus king, and it would have just gotten ugly because Herod and Rome would have gotten involved at that point, and Jesus' ministry on earth was not yet completed. 
But Jairus, boy, he now had saving faith, let me tell you, because he trusted Jesus before he saw Jesus raise his daughter from the dead. He trusted Jesus' words, don't be afraid, only believe. He had no idea what Jesus was going to do. He was hoping she would be raised from the dead, but he didn't know for a fact. He believed what Jesus said, and that's the key. He saw his daughter raised, and now the love of Jesus was solidified for Jairus. He realized in the face of death, we find the biggest test of our faith. In the face of death is where we find our faith tested the most, and Jairus passed. He passed. Because when he got the bad news, Jesus stepped into his doubt and his despair and brought hope by faith. And it saved him. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, for in this hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What are you hoping for at the end? At the end of this life, are you hoping you're good enough? hoping you're generous enough, hoping you're charming enough to please God, to be accepted into his kingdom. You know, death scares us. It scares us a lot of us because it's unknown. It's very final. And it's unavoidable, completely unavoidable. Because it's the curse of sin that's still on humanity. But Jesus has broken that curse by his death, burial, and resurrection. He's proven that the curse of death does not have to linger over you and that you can have the hope of eternal life in him. And this hope is all of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This hope that I'm talking about this morning is not wishful thinking and not just a, a, a good, good chance this will happen. This is concrete hope. This hope is all of faith. And faith in Christ at the end of this life will be the game changer. It will usher you into the presence of Almighty God where you will live forever. So don't let death or life or trial stop you from believing in Jesus or a lack of proof if that's what's going on in your head. Trust like Jairus. Do not fear. And hope will shine like the dawn in your soul. See, Jairus saw his last resort faith turn into saving faith. He saw it. He saw it right there. He became a Christian. He became a believer in Jesus Christ. And the woman saw her little test of faith become salvation for her soul. So I want you to think about this this morning. Faith in Christ grants eternal hope. But do you know why? Because he loves us. His eternal, unconditional love. That's why it does. He loved us first and he loved us most. And you can't get away from his love. When you realize how much Jesus Christ loves you, why not have faith in the gospel? I mean, his love moved him to the cross to die for our sins. Not his, ours. Which when we have faith in that news, when we have faith in the gospel, we gain hope that says, no matter what happens, I have hope in the Lord. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And these two people found Jesus' love sufficient. So Jesus loves you. Believe it. 
and you can be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these stories. Thank you for the truth of them. Help us to believe it, Father. Even those of us who have believed it for years and decades, help us to be reminded daily to believe it, to accept the love of Jesus Christ that pours out from us, for us. We thank you for that love, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'd ask you, believer, never forget that God loves you. Jesus loves you. He's died for you. And let your faith grow in that love and, and your hope grow strong. Let he, your faith keep you warm on those cold days to give you light in the darkness. Don't use the world's hope. It'll fail you every time. And if your hope is gone or your hope is weak or you have no hope, Jesus can change that by faith. By faith, through conviction, we say, I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. Your death, burial, and resurrection for the sins that I have committed. And I repent of that. Of anything I've ever believed before, I repent of those sins and those things and trust you, Jesus. Well, let's stand and sing about being part of the family of God because that's what happened to that woman in Jairus. It can happen to us as well.